Hello again, and welcome back to another episode of A Thousand and One by One, where normally each week we take a film from the book, A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die, discuss it, analyze it, and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book. We're doing something a little bit different today. My name is Adam St. John, and with us in spirit, as always, and the reason why we are talking about movies today is Ian Waddington. Um... Ian was a self-proclaimed Ridley Scott fanboy. He said that any chance he could get. And so today, we are going to try and create a definitive top five Ridley Scott films. I cannot do it alone. And I couldn't just do it with one. So I have gotten two co-hosts, two hosts of their own podcast, two frequent voices on the show. Mike from Cinemus and Kieran from Best Picture Cast. Mike, I'll start with you. How are you doing tonight? I'm fantastic. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm uh, I'm 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 like chin deep in Ridley Scott right now. So I'm um, I'm eager. I'm eager to talk about. I am literally chin deep. Nobody's <laughs> gonna get this joke right now. Only you two. Um, but I'm good. I'm good. Uh, Kieran, how are you? Adam, Mike, I'm doing good. I'm excited to finally be on with the three with the three of us. I've, I've spoken to both of you individually. I've spoken to you guys with other people, but this is uh, this is the uh, the triumphant is here. This is exciting and intimidating, and uh, but uh, but ultimately gonna gonna be a lot of fun here. So uh, I want to start off by talking about uh, just just kind of give you a platform to talk about the shows that you do. Um, uh, but also kind of give a little history there. So, so Mike, you run Cinemusts. I'm going to give you a chance here to talk about that in a second. But just so that people who aren't familiar have a history, um, Ian has been on uh, had been on your show twice. He did The Wicker Man and Don't Look Now when you were still doing the the two film episodes. He Very also once, yeah yeah he he was also on for Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels. I came on for Pulp Fiction and Memento, and then also in Bruges. And Mike, you were also, you were on a thousand and one by one, uh, for bad day at black rock with Ian. And then you were also on, uh, the great escape, uh, tribute episode. So, um, Mike, a platform to talk about your show or, or, and, and, or any of those things that I, I just said. Some shows that I love dearly. And, uh, yeah, I, I run cinemas, the podcast on perpetual hiatus, thanks to a full-time job and a toddler, but I try to get out what I can. <laughs> Um, for anybody who's not familiar, Cinemus is your the sibling podcast to 1001 by 1, pulling movies from the same book, 1001 Movies You Must See Before You Die. Uh, I get to pull from previous editions to those, so not just the 1001 in the current edition, but same gist. We have, uh, we have a big structure, thanks to my OCD, but we talk about a movie and we pick it over to the audience to decide if the movie we talk about truly deserves to be on the list of essential cinema which um, you guys had a great track record. Pulp Fiction, Memento, both made it. Uh, Ian's, I think Wicker Man made it. Don't Look Now did not. And I don't think Lockstock did either. But he was, uh, he was fine with that. <laughs> we, we had agreement there. And those were super, super fun shows. And I was glad to, ha- to have him on. And when things settled down for both of us, hope to have you back on too, Adam. I also, I feel like an ass because I just forgot that because I think maybe because the last few months have been a blur, I was actually just on again for the graduate. I feel awful for not saying. Oh, you're right. That. Well, I I should have brought that up too. The graduate, a pretty handy cinema, essential movie. Um, <laughs> as if we couldn't have guessed it. You're you're fine because I totally forgot that too. I just 
followed you right into that. I've spent hours prepping this spreadsheet and I fucking forgot to graduate. I, I, this, we're, we're off to a rollicking start. I can't wait. The big fish is cliche. It's fine. <laughs> uh, and then, and then Kieran. So, um, uh, we had you on for our, our Roman holiday episode, which I think was a first watch for all three of us when we did it. Um, I also had you on for the Lawrence of Arabia tribute episode. And uh, I've been on over at Best Picture Cast for Ben-Hur and The English Patient and the most recent Oscars and any tournament stuff where Melissa and I can just rant and rave while we're drinking wine. Um, so, uh, uh, Kieran, uh, platform for you. Sure. Yeah. Best Picture Cast. We go through all of the Best Picture winners. We do them in a, a somewhat random order. We'll, we'll pick them as we go. And we have a little bit of a panel. It's kind of like a round table. We sit around. We do it long form. We have some fun with it. We don't take it all too seriously. We have moments of taking it probably way too seriously and others where we're probably not taking it anywhere serious enough. So we, we keep a, a good mix uh, of everything here. It's it's always a lot of fun to kind of mix and match the the different personalities with the different style movies because the Oscars obviously cover many, many decades from the late 20s all the way to the 2020s. So it's 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 quite a, an interesting whether you agree with the movie should have won or shouldn't have won. That's not really what we're about. We just focus on the one movie, the one year, and we dive right into it. We've had uh, Adam, as you mentioned, you've been on for a couple uh, a couple sandy epics with uh, with English patient and Ben Hur and Mike. You, you're coming up too. We're gonna I'm get uh, or tackle our first ever Frank Capra movie, and you'll be right there for that. For uh, you can't take it with you. Looking forward I, to that. I'm so excited. I'm such a big Capra guy. And Kieran, you, you understand? You got some great talent on that show. It's so good. I continue to steal them from you for my show. Like, pr- thanks for loaning everybody out. Oh, they're always excited to uh, to fill in over this. Cinemus is a is a great a great podcast uh, along with One Thousand One by One, which now the One Thousand One by Ones you see are up on this on this uh, below freezing feed. Go and check out the old ones and and take not just from Adam's wisdom but from Ian's wisdom too. Uh, just I, I always go back and still listen to them if I if I freshly watch one of the many movies you covered. And I'll say about about Cinemus, I was on there twice as well. Forgot about me there too, Adam. Um, <laughs> Hey, I, you know, yeah. there's only so much I can prep. <laughs> uh, yeah, I covered Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, which was a fun episode. Uh, I think last summer, Mike, you and I tackled that. Mm-hmm. And David Lean's Brief Encounter, which was a first watch for me, which was super exciting and intimidating. And I loved, loved that episode that we put together, Mike. It's a, that was a great show. Just a uh, great conversation, a, a great a great viewing with that movie. I highly anticipate um, I highly encourage anyone who has not seen a brief encounter to check it out. It's an easy watch. If you're David Lean, you think you're going to get four hours or five hours of, of some sort of weathery epic, but no, it's uh it's an, it's 90 minutes and or maybe even less and, and a good watch. So, and, and, and a bunch of the best picture cast guys have been in there too for cinema. So check them out. And you, and you still get the trains. If that's what you're into David Lean for, you still get lots it. Lots of trains. Yeah. Yeah. We're at best picture cast on, all the social medias you can follow us and follow along with whatever wacky tournaments we're doing. We just uh, completed two tournaments, a sports movie tournament and a, a romantic comedy tournament. And uh, the, to, they were speaking our, our princess bride, which won the rom-com uh, was released today. And next week we'll have uh, a league of their own as the sports movie that won. So both fun episodes. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned uh, some of those past um 
a thousand one by one episodes because I have definitely been listening to them a lot uh, over the last uh, few weeks. Um, and for different reasons, um, I like I, I I re-listened to the Great Escape episode that Mike was on. I re-listened to the Roman Holiday episode that that Kieran was on. Um, I wanted to listen to uh, a ranking episode so I could kind of have it in my head. So I I re-listened to our Christopher Nolan ranking episode. Um, I also listened to uh, uh, one of the ones that was maybe the hardest to listen to, which was the one uh, the first one that uh, Liz was on when we did the dark the Dark Knight. Um, which was a really uh, fun one to listen to. That is my favorite thousand and one by one moment ever where she coins the term murder splain. <laughs> that is easily my favorite thousand and one by one moment. And that, and, and that, that was only the first time that happened like on mic, but that was a, that was a frequent thing where we would talk about stuff that we were watching. Liz would drop any of the, of the podcasts that she had, she had seen or, or, or like a docu-series. And we would like write down like, oh shit, Melissa, are you clocking these? Because I don't know any of these. Um, but um, on my way home today, uh, I was listening to our episode on, on Andre Rublev, which was the second uh, Tarkovsky film that we covered. And I, I love doing below freezing with Melissa because it's just a lot of fun and and uh rewind has been such a kind of cool experiment to to kind of be with but I so miss talking about good movies and I I miss talking about them in particular with with Ian and I forgot just how much fun it, it was but also how much I felt like I learned about uh, uh cinema by by tackling these movies and talking about them with him um so, um, we're the time timelines here are going to be interesting, but I, so I just want you both to know anybody listening that, so this is going to be released, uh, two days before the anniversary of Ian's death. Um, if you follow us all the way back, we are recording this three years exactly from the time that we dropped our alien episode, which just makes all the sense in the world considering who we're talking about today. Um, we're also this so this episode is going to be released um uh, uh on basically it's one day and a year removed um uh from when we dropped our last director ranking episode which was on uh Sofia Coppola and the day that we recorded Shaft um and we did we did do our tribute episodes um and again thank you to everybody who was involved with that we did 12 Angry Men Lawrence of Arabia The Great Escape 2001 American Graffiti, Blade Runner, and With Nail and I. Um, but I knew that this day was coming, and uh, I, I, I feel like I still haven't done enough in whatever way that I can to celebrate Ian. And um, as much as Ian was a Kubrick fan, he talked so much more about this man right here, Ridley Scott. And I figured, let's, let's talk about uh, the, the director that I think had the most... Uh, influence on Ian as a, as a film lover growing up. So um, that's why we're here today. We're going to talk about Ridley Scott. We're going to do what we do with some of the other ranking episodes. We're going to switch it up a little bit. Um, before we dive deep into the world of Ridley, I wanted to ask you both, what was your gateway drug with Ridley Scott? What was the movie that you were first introduced to this guy from? Uh, Kieran, I'll start with you. Sure. For me, it is pretty easy. When I was 15 years old uh, with a friend and uh, his his father, who, uh, you know, he, 
led us into an R-rated movie, you know, that that uh, we wouldn't weren't able to get in on our own devices. And that movie was Gladiator. And to this day, one of my favorite movie going experiences. Um, it's hard for anyone who has just gotten into seeing movies in the last five to 10 years to truly explain what it was like to see something like that in, in the year 2000 as a 15 year old, uh, the spectacle it was on screen. I mean, we'll never get to know what a Lawrence Arabia or a Ben-Hur or a 2001 a Space Odyssey felt like way back when it was even bigger spectacle. But I do have uh, I have that uh, I have that to hold close to. And that was really the first Ridley Scott movie that 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 meant something to me. So a little later in life than, than most people, I think, because I think some of those earlier films are probably ones that people watch when they were little. But but it was it was uh, Russell Crowe and, and Gladiator for me. Mike, how about you? Um, my first contact with this movie is that'd be alien for me. I'd be around the same age as you, Karen, around 15 um just knowing the legendary franchise and kind of through James Cameron, who at the time was probably like my second favorite director and wanting to watch aliens. But if you're going to do aliens, you have to do alien first. Um, but I guess on a technical level, mine would be gladiator as well, because even before that would have been about 11. I, I didn't see gladiator at the time, but I, I distinctly remember being in the car with my aunt and we were on our way back from chicken run, which is very not gladiator. <laughs> Um, but I was obsessed. It was R-rated. It was violent. I couldn't go see it, but I kept like probing her like, what happens? What's it about? And all this. And, and I was very fascinated with what happened in Gladiator and it took me a couple of years to see it. So I, I actually seeing the movie, it's alien being fascinated with the movie. I hadn't seen it was Gladiator. Uh, and I think it's funny. I think we all are of a similar age that when I say that my answer is also Gladiator, um, it's probably not going to surprise anybody. Um, now I was a I was aware of Alien obviously as a franchise and I think unfortunately at that point I'd only seen Alien Resurrection which is um just just so bad. It's just really not fun. Not is it though? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Maybe, I mean, this isn't the show for it, but I said yeah, maybe we'll do that on Below Freezing. Um but uh but I remember uh uh Gladiator so I would have been about 13 when that came out and I know, I know that I didn't see it in theaters. Um, but I basically had carte blanche at the local, uh, video rental store. Um, my mo mom gave permission and I know that I rented it and I know that I rented it that the Tuesday, do you remember when new releases were released on Tuesday and that's when you would go and get them? Ha, the good old days. But I remember going, uh, to rent gladiator and, uh, I had to watch it in my parents' bedroom because again, dating myself, that's where the VCR was. So, um, I, and I started it late and my mom was not happy because I basically was like forcing them out of their own room so I could finish <laughs> gladiator. Um, but like, and, and this is when I'm, I'm, I'm just getting into high school. I'm just starting to like dip my toe into the acting waters and Russell Crowe, I think a, even before Ridley, I was like, what a performance. I was just captivated by the performance and then as years go on i got to appreciate the craft more but it it for me it is it is definitely it is definitely russell crowe as maximus decimus meridius in gladiator um so thank you for for sharing just a little bit about your your uh your foray into the world of ridley scott um so in these i, I just want to i just want to throw in if i don't i don't mean to but you know uh 
with being that we're doing this with, you know, in Ian's memory and, and everything, I, I just wanted to say that when I started my podcast, both of your guys' podcasts were the first places I kind of went for inspiration when I was digging around with movie podcasts that were done by regular people like me, not, not you know, major corporations or, or any or entities like that. And uh, Mike, your voice, Adam, your voice, and Ian's voice as well. And Ian was probably out of the, the three of you guys, the first one that I really spoke to and, and became close with in, in going back and forth about these podcasts. So to be here talking about his favorite director is, uh, is a super honor. And it's a trip for me to be on here with the two of you guys and doing this. So I just wanted to, before we, we really take the, the total plunge here, I wanted to just to get that off my chest. Well, I, I, I appreciate that. And, um, uh, it was, I, I will say, and I think I, 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 at least off mic mentioned this to both of you, I think, but, but, um, just kind of for the record, I guess, um, Ian, Ian ran the Twitter for a thousand and one by one. And, uh, that was just something that he, he did. Um, and it was, uh, it was a real, uh, it was very eye opening in a, in a very heartwarming way to kind of get that, um, bestowed to me from, from Liz once she was able to do that. And to, to see that, I mean, and I, and I don't want that to sound very um, invasive. I hope you don't take it that way, but uh, it was, it was so great to see that. Um, Cause like, you know, Ian would mention things like, Oh, I talked to Mike or I talked to Kieran on Twitter. And I said this thing about that. I'm like, Oh, cool. Great. You know, it was one of those things that he'd quickly pass along before we started recording, but to see the, the depth, to see the, the history of it, um, it, it, it still to this day brings a, a really, a great, a great smile to me because I, I, I love thinking about that, that, that he, he was striking up these relationships and, and I, I always, uh, appreciated that. Yeah. I was touched to hear that then and touched to hear now. And, and the man was passionate about movies and, uh, and there were the evidences right there where it was just a blast to talk to him about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's great. We miss those, those threads and, and I'll just echo with Kieran. It's, it's a, it's an honor to be here, not just to, to be picked to talk about you know, good friend and the director he loved, despite the fact that in those Twitter threads, you'll probably find evidence of me telling him like, I don't get it. <laughs> so <laughs> and true, true to form, I'm, I'm here to do my best to honor him, but also maybe to piss him off just a smidge. He, I honestly, he would not have it any other way. He would not. <laughs> um, so, uh, in, in terms of, uh, you know, when we would do the rankings, we, we would find ourselves kind of, um, falling on a word or an idea that was sort of associated with whoever we were talking about. When I listening to the Christopher Nolan one, again, we, we kept talking about scope and, um, and size and playing with time. Uh, when we did the Inuritu one, the word that we kept coming up with was visceral. We got a very visceral feeling from Inuritu's films. I would like to put forth the word that came to mind, if hyphenated, I believe, um, when I think of Ridley Scott, and that is world building. Like his movies, love his movies, absolutely despise his movies, and trust me, there are plenty of those. The man knew how to create a space that when you looked at it, you were like, this is very clearly this world. Um, so a little bit about the man. Um, and and again, this is already foreign territory to, for me because this was usually Ian's job when we would do this. Um, so uh, Ridley Scott, 
Sir Ridley Scott was born on November 30th, 1937 in South Shields on the northeast coast of England. His dad, Francis, was a partner in a commercial shipping business, but before that he was a merchant sailor. Ridley got his passion for drawing from his dad. His mom, Elizabeth, was the matriarch of the family. She ran it. Ridley got his passion for film from his mom. Um... Uh, Ridley Scott had an older brother named Frank. Um, uh, by Ridley's own admission, he called him a bit of an absentee brother. Uh, he joined the Merchant Navy. Um, he died young. He died of skin cancer in 1980, right as basically they were making um, uh, Blade Runner, which uh, Brittany and I talked a little bit about when we were doing the episode about the sort of very morose and somber tones that that movie took place. Um Ridley also had a younger brother, Tony Scott, a filmmaker himself. Um, Tony Scott attended uh, the Royal College of Arts, just like Ridley did, and was right there with Ridley when he started up Ridley Scott Associates, or RSA, back in 1965. Ridley Scott started his, his, first, his first ad company when he was 28 years old. I am 35. That is just fucking crazy. So all of the, uh, all of the kudos to Ridley for starting his own business. Now, I am sure I am not telling you to anything that you don't know. And uh, rather than avoid this, I'm just going to try to take it head on. And that is the unfortunate coincidence uh, to deal with Tony Scott and what happened with Ian. Uh, so in uh, August of 2012, Tony Scott uh, took his own life. He jumped off of the Vincent Thomas Bridge in L.A. Um uh, at first, people didn't quite know why. Um, years later, Ridley came out and said that he was kind of battling uh, cancer very privately. And because of that, he was also battling depression. Um, and I don't really know what else to say about that other than it it happened. Um, and I didn't want to avoid that because it would be a disservice to Ridley Scott and the fact that his brother... Um, who had a very uh, healthy filmography himself. And I would like to talk of, about a few of those movies because, again, I would be in a do, doing a disservice to Ian if I did not. Um, some of Tony Scott's films include Top Gun, uh, previous 1001 by One episode, an episode in which Ian and I attempt to sing a little bit in the episode. Um, he also directed True Romance. Uh, and for anybody unaware, that is... Uh, Ian and Liz's movie. That is their movie. Um, I I think one of them has a You're So Cool tattoo. Uh, I forget which one. Um, uh, he also directed Enemy of the State, which is probably one of my absolute favorite kind of bad movies of all time. I love that movie. Um, and and I I want to I, I want to mention this one because I I haven't seen it, but uh, Ian said this once, and I and I haven't not thought about it since he said it. So one of uh, Tony Scott's movie that he directed was Spy Game. Now, I'm going to ask if you've seen that in a second, but um, one thing that I really appreciate was that he goes, he thought that Ian and uh, he thought that Tony and Ridley had like this idea of switching scripts because in that same year, uh, um, Ridley Scott directed Black Hawk Down, which seems a lot more like a Tony Scott movie. Spy Game seeming a lot more like a, uh, a Ridley Scott movie and Ian had this theory that they were drinking one night and they were like, what are you working on? I'm working on this. Oh, I'm working on that. Let's just change scripts and, and see what happens. Um, uh, but those are just some of Tony Scott's films. Uh, Mike, I'll, I'll just kind of start with you. Any, um, any Tony Scott thoughts? Um, I'm 
less versed in Tony Scott than Ridley Scott's movies. And I like him, don't love him. I don't know that there's a Tony Scott movie I love, which I think is blasphemy. Uh, I'll put it out on the table. I think True Man's, True Romance is a good movie. I don't love it. And I think I just got to it way too late. I think that's a movie that like most people hit right in that sweet spot of like freshman year of college and it speaks to them. I'm 13 years past that. Um, I've seen all the Tarantino movies. So I watched it and I said, yeah, this is good. I don't love it. Um, but that's probably my favorite of his. Um, Top Gun is maybe one of my most hated movies of all time, which is, a, this is bad. This is bad timing with the, the sequel getting great critical reception, but I openly despise Top Gun as much as I love Tom Cruise. So not, not a great start. Um, is he man on fire? Yes, he is. Yeah. I like man on fire. Yeah. It, it's, it's a good movie. He, I mean, he teamed up with Denzel, I think like six or seven times. Yes. Mm. It's a strong frame. Uh, so I take it back. True, I think I like Man on Fire more than True Romance. So uh, if if I need to leave right now, I'll just exit stage left. You're good. You're 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 fine. You're fine. Uh, Kieran, what about you? Sure. I mean, I dig True Romance for sure. One of uh, my co-hosts at Best Picture Cast, Chris G. That's one of his favorite movies. Uh, I'll I'll throw a, a Tony Scott that I love out there is, uh, and you mentioned his collaborations with Denzel, uh, Unstoppable. A train movie with Chris Thomas. I think it was one of his final movies. It, it was super it, underrated. It was his last. Yeah, that's fun. It, yeah, it was his last movie. Um, speaking of Tarantino, uh, Tarantino is a big, big fan of Unstoppable. Yeah, yeah, and and it's and I, I see why it's awesome. You know, it's 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 just paced. It's paced great. It's it's action packed. It's it's if you wanna if you wanna sit down on a Saturday afternoon and watch an action flick, it's it's great. Um, Days of Thunder too. Right. That, yeah. I, that, that is one of the few I haven't seen of Tony Scott's. Yeah. It's super stylistic. It's not a great movie, but it's, you know, you, you, you're in on it. NASCAR's not my favorite thing in the world. I don't really understand it, but the movie's cool. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's shot. Well, the, the, the sound is great and all the things you'd expect in a, in a Tom Cruise race car movies uh, are there. So Ian once quoted Tony Scott by saying that, um, my brother Ridley directs prestige movies. My movies are a little bit more rock and roll. Uh, <laughs> yeah, nice. Which, um, especially if you've seen enough, of, if you've seen Domino, you know exactly <laughs> what he's talking about. Um, and so I also don't want to steamroll past uh, part of uh, Ridley Scott and his work on commercials. Um, not that I expected any of you to watch it, but did any of you, do you know any of his commercials that he's kind of known for? Just the big one, just the 1984 uh, Apple. Yes, I, I watched that one, and um, I definitely got like Fritz Lang Metropolis vibes. And I also, um, I was a little scared. I don't, I don't know that that makes me want to buy a Macintosh back in 1984. <laughs> big brother got to you too, huh? Absolutely, yeah, totally. Um, but in that same year, he did a um a Pepsi Super Bowl commercial. This was back when Pepsi was still doing the voice of a new generation commercials, um, which is which is pretty uh, good. I watched one of his Chanel number no. five commercials. I watched, I think it was an American Express commercial that that Anthony Hopkins was in. Um, and I I also watched a car commercial where um. Uh, maybe because of his relationship with Vangelis, the Chariot of Fire theme is used in the commercial. Um, but even in these commercials, Ridley is such a world builder. Like he just creates these places that are like, I see it. I get, it. I'm there. I'm absolutely 
in this world. <laughs> I um, I also pulled some Ridley quotes. Uh, we're getting we're getting closer to talking about the movie, so I just want to um, I and these are just a few of them. And by the way, if you haven't seen Ridley on press tour for the last duel. Um, getting hounded about the realism of, of his films and basically telling the journalist to just fuck off, fuck off, thank you very much, fuck off, fuck you. Um, I I highly recommend it. It is just, it's stellar. It's stellar stuff. So um, a couple of Ridley quotes. Um, uh, on on uh, talking about why his movies don't have sex scenes, he said, quote, sex is boring unless you're doing it. Um, other things that he said, um, quote, I think it's remarkable that people will give you $10 million to go and get your rocks off. Uh, never let yourself be seen in public unless they pay you for it. I think movies are getting dumber, actually. Where it used to be 50-50, now it's 3% good, 97% stupid. And, and this one, I think, is I think if you search really Scott, Scott quotes, this one will come up. He says, I'm not criticizing Hollywood because I work there. I partly live there. But I'm saying this is the way it is. Commerce is taking over art. Commerce has become the most important thing in the film industry. Hollywood is an industry. It's not an art form. Therefore, they have to address the bottom line. But in a way, it's sad when you get a remake, isn't it? So just a couple of Ridley quotes there. I have to just throw on top of that. If I highly encourage anyone out there. It's, it's a quick YouTube search. There is a Hollywood Reporter roundtable of uh, the directors who had movies that were up for the Oscars in 2016. It's a roundtable of directors. It's a must watch. It's uh, it is Ridley Scott. It's Quentin Tarantino. It's uh, Alejandro Inarritu. It's Danny Boyle. It is um, the other two are David R. Russell and then uh, I think Tom Hooper the last one so it's all the group of them around and there's a, a mediator and boy ridley steals the show anything you need to ever know about his personality or who he is you just watch that and it'll blow your mind he's just he takes over the room and it's almost like he's putting on a character and those are those are that's a that's a heavy table of names i just listed off there and it's classic it's absolutely classic i, I highly encourage anyone to check it out he's just he he holds nothing back he'll just go right at people it's it's fantastic so uh one thing that we would do on every um every director ranking is we would talk a little bit about frequent collaborators so i have a couple of the categories and um i'll go through this somewhat quickly just so people can kind of hear them um here's the interesting thing about screenwriters he never reused screenwriters or if he did, it was on one other film, but that was not his thing. And I think this goes back to, I think Ridley enjoyed getting a script and thinking about how he could shape it in, in the way that he saw it. He wasn't really about um, writing them or working with the same uh, screenwriters. That was never his thing. Um, and, and that goes the same with producers. I mean, he didn't really stick with any production company. Not really. Um, I mean, he worked with David Geiler and Walter Hill on all of the Alien films because they were just kind of attached to it, but that wasn't really his thing either. Obviously, he has his production company, Scott Free, which has been uh, behind basically every movie since Gladiator. Um, but speaking of that, the list of, of movies that Ridley Scott was not a producer on. Now, he's been a co-producer or an executive producer on, on all of them, but he did not. he was not a producer on The Duelists, on Alien, Blade Runner, Legend, Someone to Watch Over Me, 
and Black Rain. Now, here's the thing about those movies. Those are all in succession. Those are all the first movies of his career. And the only other movie that he was not a producer on is the one that wins Best Picture, which is Gladiator. He was not a... <laughs> which means that when that won, Ridley was not up on stage. <sighs> That's Crazy. gotta hurt. <laughs> Since then, he has been. Um, and some of his movies he's been the sole producer on, but we're not going to worry about that. Um, in terms of editors, he's worked with some greats. Um, Terry Rawlings on Alien and Blade Runner, uh, Dottie Dorn on like Matchstick Man, Kingdom of Heaven and Goodyear. But uh, it's Pietro Scalia who did 11 Ridley Scott movies. Um, I would say one of his most frequent collaborators um, between G.I. Jane and Alien Covenant. Um, Pietro Scalia is basically in there. Um, with uh, an Academy Award win for editing Black Hawk Down. Um, cinematography, Jan de Bont, Jan de Bont of uh, cinematography for uh, Die Hard, Jan de Bont, director of Speed and Speed 2, um, was his cinematographer on Black Rain. John Matheson uh, got some acclaim for his work on Gladiator. But Darius Wolski has done every film since Prometheus, so that is eight total. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna take a step back here and let you two kind of run off if you can uh, name some of the biggies here. Scores. Any any frequent composers you want to shout out that have worked with Ridley Scott? Zimmer, right? Hans Zimmer has done the scores for Black Rain, Thelma and Louise, Gladiator, Hannibal, Black Hawk Down, and Matchstick Men. It is the most. Um, he has worked with a guy named Mark Streitenfeld on a bunch as well. Uh, he did a good year, American Gangster, Body of Lies, Robin Hood, and Prometheus. Um, but I got one to shout out too, if, if you don't mind. I mean, you, I think you briefly mentioned him before in the commercial section, Vangelis, you yeah. know, d who did uh, Blade Runner with him the year after he won for Chariots of Fire, he being Vangelis. And I believe he then does the, the Christopher Columbus movie, 1492, he does with him too. Yes. And I think a bunch of those commercials, like you said, but yeah, I, I mean, you know, we'll talk, I'm sure about uh, the Blade Runner score later, but um, yeah, I just, I'm, I'm a, I, I'm, I'm a Vangelis, uh, Vangelis supporter. So it's the, it, it's, it's the only good thing about Chariots of Fire. So I'll tip, I'll tip my cap to that. <laughs> um, and then in terms of actors, you know, I was, I was, there are, there are some obvious ones. Sigourney Weaver had done, uh, has done three, two of which she is severely miscast in. Um, Michael Fassbender's in a few, obviously because he plays uh, a couple of roles in Prometheus and then Alien Covenant. Um, one of my favorite um, character actors of all time, Zelchko Ivanik, um, who is in a bunch of the McDonough movies. He's in The Last Duel, Black Hawk Down, Hannibal, and White Squall, but it would be just plain silly of me to not mention the actor who's worked with him the most. And that, of course, is Russell Crowe. Um, now, without looking at any notes, do you know how many movies Russell Crowe has done with Ridley Scott? Uh, top of the head, yes. I'm going to say six was going to, but I was going to guess God. six, too. Okay. Yeah. You take it. Six? No, six. No, six is good. You're wrong. Both guess six. You're wrong. Ah. No, it's okay. Uh, it's five. Now, um, ah. Ooh, close, though. Close. It, it was. Okay. So he was in, obviously, Gladiator, A Good Year, American Gangster, Body of Lies, and Robin Hood. Now, he was slated to be in uh, Kingdom of Heaven, but he had to, uh, he, he had scheduling conflicts, so he could not be in that. Um, he was fighting around the world. Yeah, yes. I'm, I, I, or, or doing something. I actually, I actually think it was um, Cinderella Man, because it was 05. 
Um, Can, quick anecdote. Um, will you give me the character actor's name again? Zilch. Z- Zelchko Ivanik. Okay, quick, quick aside about him. I repeatedly mistake him for, I think his name is Kevin J. O'Connor, who plays Benny in the Mummy movie. And it pisses me off because this happened three times watching movies for this show. Every time I'm like, is that Kevin G. O'Connor? I have to go to IMDb and it's it's this guy instead. So I oh, know it's this it's, is it's Zelchko. Zelchko, who's been in every Martin McDonough movie. Just a fun little oh, there we about go. Him. Um so then a couple of things too. Some uh, I, I I I call this just some, some thousand and one by one bits, things that we would do um in terms of asking about the National Film Registry. Um Ian and I uh, covered Alien. Uh, Blade Runner was also in the National Film Registry. But there's a new one. Only one other Ridley Scott film has made the National Film Registry. Thelma and Louise. Thelma and Louise? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so Thelma and Louise made it in 2016. Other notable films from that year. Um, uh, movie already mentioned on the episode, The Princess Bride was inducted in 2016. Um uh, beloved film, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Yeah. Also, there we go. Also inducted in 2016. Um, uh, winner of the BPC animated tournament, The Lion King, was inducted in 2016. And the only, yeah. other, the only other one that I want to mention because it was a movie that Ian kept saying that we would have to do on the show because he was very anti this movie. And that would be John Hughes' The Breakfast Club was also inducted in 2016. Now, I have a question with you because it's, it's on topic with what you just said and a movie you just mentioned. I heard in one of in one of the episodes, he wanted to get contentious with you over that. And he also <laughs> mentioned Princess Bride. Were, were you the one that liked Princess Bride and he disliked it or is the other way around? No, I, I like Princess Bride. Okay, and and Ian Ian had issues with it. Okay, yeah, and you know it's funny. I never really got to the bottom of why. I don't. I never really found out why he was not such a fan of that movie. But that's okay. I have I have a theory. Let's it maybe it. goes a little too. It maybe goes a little too deep into Ian's childhood and backstory and some troubles there. So I don't know if I should. I think that's okay. Well, Ian and I share a thing. We we, we grew up. Um, in the, in the Mormon church, that movie is like the anthem of, of people who grow up. So it, it is overquoted to an obnoxious degree. So it takes a lot of coming around to enjoy it. Um, and if you couple that with like a childhood that you're like, this wasn't super great. Um, that, that's a movie you can easily target and be like, fuck him. <laughs> <laughs> and I like it because I dodged it for so many years. So I got to appreciate it as an adult. That's, but that was always one of my working theories because I didn't want to just accuse him as being a murderer of love or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that, and and you're very that's very spot on. He definitely grew up, uh, re, uh, renounced renounced Mormonism around the time that we were meeting in high school. So no, I don't think that's. I think that's that's Ian, Ian would be the first one to tell you that. So I think that's that's a great theory. I like that. That was that was always my. Now another I to another. Another Rob Reiner movie that I think you guys were split on too was This Is Spinal Tap. Is that one that you guys I, saw other sides on? How did he not like that movie? I don't know. That I, was always baffling to me. I, I, you know, I we he also was not a fan of. Um, he wasn't a fan of The Naked Gun. He really wasn't a fan of Airplane. I don't know if there's something yeah. about just eighties. Some of those eighties comedies. I mean, that's. Not, I mean, he loved Blues Brothers. He was a big Ghostbusters fan. Yeah, so was, I guess it's yeah. not really. It's not really an eighty. Yeah. Yeah. 
knowing knowing Ian, the rest of those make sense. Why Spinal Tap doesn't make sense to me is that Ian was a, a music file, which is not a real word, but I'm at a loss. He loved music. And I just, I just feel like that movie would be very up his alley with how much it lampoons the music industry. Like it is, it is silly, but he wasn't the guy who was void of silliness. I, I just never, I never understood that one. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm not sure. I, I, uh, I wonder if this, he, because of that group, that group of actors that would go on to do so many things, I can't tell if there's just like a lot of maybe, uh, and it's not the same thing, but just a, a lot of Monty Python pride, like not wanting to admit uh, that there's another yeah. another troop of comedic actors out yeah. there doing doing their own thing. Um, I definitely re-listened to our Life of Brian episode, um, <laughs> um, which he he absolutely loved that movie. Um, so in terms of some Ridley accolades, uh, he's he's been nominated for Best Director three times for Thelma and Louise, Gladiator, Black Hawk Down. Uh, had a best had a Best Picture nomination that he was up for for The Martian. Um, he was uh, inducted into the BAFTA Academy Fellowship in 2018. He has four DGA nominations, and Blade Runner uh, is on the AFI Top 100 at 97 and on Sight & Sound's Top 100 at 69 in a four-way tie with Blue Velvet, Sans Soleil, and A Man Escaped. So there are just some, some Ridley tidbits there. Now, gentlemen... This is this we're not we're good we're we're gonna build our ranking here, okay? But we're gonna we're gonna switch it up just a little bit. Just a little bit. Because unlike some of the other rankings that we've done, where there's a finite number of movies, like 10 or 9 or 7, Ridley Scott has 27 movies. So here is what we're gonna do. I am going to go through his movies chronologically. So starting with the duelists. And I will say, I'll start with Kieran. I'm going to ask Kieran, Kieran, is The Duelist in your top five? You will say yes or no. If it is, I'm just going to move on because we know that we'll get to it eventually. If it's not, I'll go to Mike. Mike, is The Duelist in your top five? If it's yes, we'll wait. If no, I'll come to me. And if it is, again, we'll wait. But if it's not, if no movie makes our top five, I'll ask you if you've seen it. And maybe we'll just we'll just throw out some couple of tidbits. But that way, what we can do is we can collectively build the movies that are going to make our top five and cool. also potentially leave a little mystery as to what um, actually all of them are. Because if we get a yes right away, aha, we won't worry about it. So does this make sense? It does. I mean, yes. All right. So 1977, Ridley Scott makes his first film, The Duelists. Kieran, does the duelist make your top five? It does not, but uh, can I say right around number six? So on the should out, I do that or? outside looking? Uh, that's fine. Outside looking in, very close. Yeah. So outside looking in. Okay, yeah. so so you have seen it. Lovely. I have seen it. Mike, does the duelist make your top five? No, and I, I'm I'm sorry, Adam. I know you told me to watch it. I, the time. I, I didn't get to it, so I still have not seen the Duelist. No, that's don't, all good. All good. Uh, the Duelist. No, you're 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 gonna be mad because later I'm gonna explain to you a movie that I picked to watch in front of it, and it's really <laughs> awesome. <laughs> no, it's great. Time is real. Um, okay, so really quickly, Kieran, I'm assuming first watch for this. It was indeed. It was indeed. I did my homework, Mike. I listened to Adam's uh, <laughs> insist on. <laughs> but I think I have fewer Ridley Scott movies seen than you, Mike. So don't, don't worry. Yes. Uh, I, first watch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
it was a first watch. It was, uh, um, it was entertaining. Was, are we talking duelist now? Is that yeah, just, yeah. And we won't spend too much time cause there's a lot of movies, but yeah, just some okay. quick, some quick hits. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you want to see a period piece with Harvey Keitel speaking in a New York accent, please <laughs> check out Watch the Last Temptation of Christ. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it is, uh, it's something real, real, it's a real fun indicator of where Ridley Scott would go with his storytelling as a director, how much he can accomplish in, in 90 minutes and, or, or so I, th- I think it's a, around that, around that length. And, you know, period pieces are not my favorite. So it's got a little bit of that, of that stench on it. But honestly, if you're someone who doesn't like period pieces, you can, you can survive the duelists and, and enjoy it because it's it's a fun story to tell and he does a nice job and i believe i'll I'll quote i'll uh i'll quote ian here with this one it is a a, uh, and this is a paraphrase but a well above average first feature i believe he called it yeah yes he did um uh uh insider baseball when ian and i were first trying to figure out a format for the show we were going to do a thing where we took three movies that shared a theme and talk about all of them and uh, to to do this, we Ian picked the first theme, which was uh, di- first time directors' first films in the seventies, and he had picked this uh, Spielberg with Duel and um, Terrence Malick with Badlands, and we were going to do um, that was it. And then so, but to test ourselves, we we got together and we were like well can we talk about this for like an hour and then uh three hours goes by and we're like okay i think we can talk about movies for a substantial period of time um and so the duelist came into my life right before we started a thousand and one by one uh i rewatched it for this um just uh, just like a couple of things about it all shot on location all real places uh around uh england france and scotland um uh, the sword play, as somebody who has been certified in a couple of swords through the uh, Society of American Fight Directors, the sword fights are really good. Um, the way the, the small sword, the very first duel in that with um, uh, Keith Carradine and Harvey Keitel is like period appropriate too, which is amazing. And this is a sliding doors thing. Harvey Keitel only available because uh, he was kicked off of Apocalypse Now. Wow. Wow. There you go. And and just want to shout out to the first scene of the first movie Ridley Scott directs is an action packed sword fight. And I just think that's so cool. Yeah, it, it starts right away. Boom. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I definitely the first time I watched it, I told and for anybody who can't get into Barry Lyndon, I call this is Barry Lyndon light. It is not as mm. long, not as dense. And uh, if that movie scares you, this one won't. Um, but also I will um, not in my top five. Um, and you get to see Harvey Keitel hang out in South France with the New York accent in the 1800s. Oh, so man. there you go. It's great. <laughs> I, I love it. I, say, I mean, and Keith Carradine sounds like he just come, came right off the set of Nashville. I mean, it's, he's not even trying to hide anything either. <laughs> right. He's hanging on Malibu Beach. <laughs> great um, stuff. Easy. Great stuff. All right. 1979. Alien. Mike, does Alien make your top five? Yes. Cool. Moving on. 1982, Blade Runner. Kieran, does Blade Runner make your top five? It does. It does. Okay. Moving on. 1985, Legend. 
Mike, does Legend make your top five? No, it does not. Uh, Kieran, does it make your top five? I am sorry to say it does not. Uh, it doesn't make mine either. Have you two seen Legend? So here's coming full circle. <laughs> I had two, two choices last night. Do I watch The Duelist or do I watch Legend? And Adam actively told me, you got to see Duelist. Don't waste your time with Legend. It's 17 minutes shorter and it's really late. So, <laughs> so I watch Legend instead of The Duelist. Okay. Um, so again, we'll, we'll keep it, we'll keep it short ish. Uh, Mike, we'll start with you. Uh, what, what are your legend thoughts? I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> I, and, and that saddens me because there's a part of me, I agree with you, Adam, that if, um, if I'm going to think of the, the, the theme of Ridley Scott's filmography, if I'm not being facetious, cause two and a half hours is the first thing I think of when you say Ridley Scott, but really like world building is the thing. And you, I want to see Ridley Scott pull off like a fantasy epic. I want to see Ridley Scott do a fairy tale. I want his Wizard of Oz or Lord of the Rings. Legend is nonsensical. Um, I, I don't think like the simple fairy tale allegory just suits his style because he's he just seems to be bungling these archetypes of like the pure of heart hero, the innocent princess, the the forces of darkness and good. Like he, I don't know. It just. It seems like he wants to go deeper, especially with this final shot where he has to undercut his happy ending with like the suggestion that evil is not. I don't know. It just seems like with a lot of these monologues at the end about the balance and harmony of light and darkness, it's at odds with how Jim Henson it is. And it's just like it's, it's just a bungled kind of mess. And I didn't want it to be, but almost nothing about it worked for me it was cool to see mia sarah who i have had a crush on ever since first seeing ferris bueller's day off and i was i was all for that but it, it's just all over the place it's confusing it's weird i i wanted it to be better than it was and i just didn't dig it kieran were you able to, to fit this one in I, I was i was um and i also do not like it uh i <laughs> Um, I will say this, okay? Uh, now, while I have not seen all these movies on the filmography as we're going to go through them here, I did do a lot of polling and kind of uh, campaigning around and just and asking people about, you know, about Ridley Scott and about some of the movies. And, and this was one that came back so wacky because it would be a lot of, I mean, obviously you have the people who don't, didn't see it, whatever. But there were so many people who saw this and had this as such a, important part of their youth and oh my god legend i grew up on legend and it's like okay um all right i've never i had never even heard of it before this project so there there were a bunch of people who you know i i know and respect and, and people i go to to talk about movies with who were like yeah i grew up on legends great learn legends great and it seems like if you saw this as a kid you have you have a little piece of your heart with it and if you didn't you you probably didn't didn't have a, have a good time and that's kind of, I'll, I'll, I'll shout out the, the makeup, which I think got yeah. an Oscar nom. It, it is wonderful. And, and Tim Curry, uh, Tim Curry can do no wrong by me. And he's playing the devil. I mean, you could sign me up for that, but that's probably the, the, where the highlights ends for me. I'm, I'm so glad you said the growing up with it thing. Cause I, I, I agree. It, it's like the same way that I, if, if you were to tell me that, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles two was a bad movie, I'd tell you to go fuck yourself because I think it's a masterpiece. <laughs> um, 
But it's funny, it, and 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 just because you know we're doing this in honor of Ian on my my flight back recently, I tried watching Time Bandits on the plane because Ian said he grew up with that movie, he loved it. I got ten minutes and I was like, nope, I'm sorry, I can't do it. And but I could totally get why if you saw because it's not like scary, scary. It's fantasy with a little bit of of like kind of thrilling elements to it. And I could see where if you saw that at the right age, you would you would love it. But I I couldn't get into it and. I I muscled through this one mostly because I was so interested in the absurdity of it. Um I uh I, I found this to be crazy. Now, so a couple things. Um Tom Cruise um actively campaigns against the American cut of this movie. He will tell you to watch the director's cut and we could spend we could do an entire podcast on just Ridley Scott and his director's cut. We're not going to do that. Um but I, I am kind of curious to watch it at some point because I thought this movie was just bananas. Yeah. Same. I did the theatrical and I kind of wondered, like, if I did the directors, would I like this more? Um, yeah, but uh, as you said, Adam, I feel like we're going to do this with all these movies. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> and his producers Which cut did you watch? Page. There's a million cuts of all these movies. I, yeah. <laughs> oh, did you watch the, the 92 Legends cut? No. <laughs> um, there's a couple other things I thought were funny. Um, this movie uh, was one of the movies at some point that burned down Pinewood Studios. Um, and Tim Curry won a very interesting uh, award. Entertainment Weekly uh, voted him as giving the best performance in a bad movie as darkness so little it's a little extra information there he's done that a couple of times he's great in fern gully oh, and that man. movie Ooh, sucks I haven't, I haven't thought about that movie in a long time it's so bad everybody <laughs> throw, here's, here's, throw Congo here's my announcement. So, yeah everybody that like is like avatar is just fern gully light like i defy you to go watch fern gully and tell me it's more entertaining than avatar so we're, we're moving on to the year of my birth 1987, someone to watch over me. Uh, Kieran, does it make your top five? I have not seen it. Mike, does Same. it make your top? Not seen it. Haven't seen it. Uh, it does not make my top five. Um, this was and uh, like legend, this was a first time watch in prepping for this. Here's the thing, I like it. It's uh, it's not a bad movie. It definitely here's here's one thing I will say about uh, someone to watch over me. Um, it uh, it has some some '80s stereotypes that I think are really interesting. And basically, what I mean by that is that Tom Bar- so Tom Berenger in the movie is a is a um, basically a New York detective, and he's married to Lorraine Bracco, and he seems like a great guy. Mimi Rogers witnesses um, a murder of her friend by the one-armed man from The Fugitive, which is just, uh, that's the same actor there. And basically, she's under protection until um, he can be uh, taken to court, essentially. Tom Berenger gets to cheat on his wife with Mimi Rogers and then save the day and then get back together with Lorraine Bracco. So there's some like, eh, is that really how life works? But honestly... After all of these movies, especially like going Alien, Blade Runner, Legend, it's a really nice toned down piece that isn't so... In a way, it reminds me of kind of like the way that Matchstick Men felt like a breath of fresh air for what Ridley Scott could do. Um, This was something that I don't think anybody was necessarily expecting in terms of his filmography. It's a... It's kind of a thriller, but it's also about this guy and his marriage and his family and and, and what is he going to do? I... I, I, without giving you an exact number, it's pretty much kind of right in the middle of the of my ranking of all of his films. But I don't not recommend it. 
if you have some time, check it out. I think Tom Berenger is actually really good in it, actually, to be totally honest. Yeah, this was one that when I was going through it and trying to just isolate the ones that I wanted to try to track down and see, this is one that I highlighted because first of all, I love I love Tom Berenger. But, you know, I, he's he's a guy whose who's baseball cards I'll collect a little bit. You know, like, uh, I like I dig him in I dig him in in platoon. I dig him in major league. He's he's uh, fun to watch on screen for me. L- Lorraine Bracco, same deal. You know, a big Sopranos fan and 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 whatnot. So the, and and the premise seemed cool. So this was one that kind of stuck out of what I wanted to highlight. So it's one of maybe I'll, I'll check out in the in the near future. Moving on. 1989, Black Rain. Uh, I've lost track. I'm just, uh, Mike, is Black Rain in no. your top five? <laughs> no, I haven't seen it. Kieran? I have not seen it. Uh, yeah, it is not in my top five. It is, um, I would call, I would say it's in the bottom third. Uh, mm. It's, um, here's the thing. So one of the sole credited producers on this is Michael Douglas. He's the star of the movie. It, this is actually one of those, you know, how I mentioned earlier where Ian said something about um, Tony and Ridley changing scripts. Um, this feels like a Tony Scott movie that Ridley Scott directed. Um, I will say it's got a, um, a very, uh, a very charming Andy Garcia in it. Funnily enough, the plot for this movie was supposed to be the plot for Beverly Hills Cop 2 directed by Tony Scott. So there's that. Wow. I, I don't recommend this movie. Would it have been better if it was Beverly Hill Cops 2's plot? Um, I, I, I don't know. Uh, outside of the first Beverly Hills Cop, they I've, I, I don't think I've brought myself to even see the third one, and I don't remember the second one, so that's where we're at there. I honestly All don't right. want to give I don't want to give Black Rain any more any more time than, uh-huh. I, than I just did. Um, nineteen ninety one, Thelma and Louise, Kieran, does this make your top five? Thelma and Louise makes my top five. Perfect. Then we're going to move on to 1992. 1492, Conquest of Paradise. Mike, does this make your top five? No, have not seen it. Kieran. I saw this and saw everything going into it and a little bit about the story about it. And I said, you know what? I got to watch this. And then I found out that Adam was going to watch it. And I said, that's better. Let's let Adam watch it. And I'll just listen to him talk about it. So, so I, I, I went that route. So no, I have not seen it. So I, I, you know, I'm definitely trying to be spoiler free with our top fives. Um, and that's why I'm kind of, kind of doing this new way of going about how we do things. Uh, no spoilers here. This is absolutely number 27. This is the worst film that Ridley Scott has made. Um, and it's, it, and there's a whole lot to do with the fact that this was rushed because uh, there was another Columbus film being made because because 1992 and the 500th anniversary of Columbus's discovery was like the fucking thing that we all wanted to see and talk about. Um, this movie is so it, it, you can and you can almost feel the hastily edited nature of this movie. Um, and I got to say, a Frenchman playing Columbus and Sigourney Weaver playing the Queen of Spain are two of the most ridiculous casting choices I have ever seen. And bear in mind, we also haven't talked about Exodus Gods and Kings yet. So that just, like, this is a bad, bad casting. Is the guy at Columbus the guy who played Cyrano? 
That is correct. Gerard Depardieu. Oh, my goodness. Uh, and an evangelist score, as we mentioned before, too. So to, to make it even more over the top. How's that? Is that at least entertaining? Uh, you know, here's um, wait, and I have I have this information. Hold on. Um, so here's the thing: we could do this on below freezing. Ooh, ooh, but no. <laughs> I I'm not this. It's too long, and I'm like, there are very 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 few movies that I I like regret having seen. Right, and I've seen the first two Human Centipede movies. This ooh. is one that like. I want my time back. I want it back. <laughs> it's, it is so, it's just, it's, it's not good. It's just not a well, good movie. And on Below Freezing, you recently covered The Saint. And I was amening at <laughs> home listening to you saying, I am mad that I watched that. I want that time back. And I went and found the person who recommended the movie to me and wanted it. And I wanted an explanation. And they denied recommending it to me. That's how, that's that's my relationship with the Saint. So if 1492 is its Saint status there, uh, and probably tack on an hour or two, it seems like, right? Yeah, yes. I will say that that was for, it was for Rewind, which is a, a little more out of my control. Oh, Rewind. Yeah, okay. okay. But, yeah. but probably could have could have qualified for Love Freezing, I'm uh, it, sure, right? it did. It would have, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, good. We're going to move past that. Uh, movie kind of mentioned, I think, off mic, but maybe on mic. White Squall, 1996. Kieran, does this make your top five? Not in my top five. Saw it as a kid. Uh, I was uh, around the uh, the sailing world, so it was one I think we you know maybe watched it at summer camp when it rained or something, um, and had fond memories of it. But don't really remember too much other than you know other than the, the basics of it. It's kind of like a, like perfect storm, light, right? Yeah, I, I have another way to phrase that movie in a second. Um, Mike, does go, it make go your- for it now because I haven't seen it. So uh, I, I when we did our Gladiator episode, when we were doing our decade by decade uh, celebration of film, I watched a lot of Russell Crowe. I watched a lot of Ridley Scott. Um, this was one of them that I'd watched. Um, uh, I didn't think of this, but Ian said it's just it's Dead Poet Society on a boat. That is this movie. Um, uh, the, my one quote thing that I wrote down was just Jeff Bridges cannot save this movie and he's trying jeff bridges is doing his mm-hmm. jeff bridges thing he's he's fun to watch but it is not a good movie however i would like i want to this is i'm something i'm going to read okay on the same day that production on his film hot zone was canceled ridley scott was given a copy of this film script 90 minutes later he announced that he would direct it so this is where I go, what's the hot zone? Let me tell you what the hot zone is. The hot zone, a terrifying true story, is a best-selling 1994 nonfiction thriller about the origins and incidents involving viral hemorrhagic fevers. Directors considered for this movie were Wolfgang Peterson, Michael Mann, and Ridley Scott, who was attached to direct this in 1994. Guess who was attached to be in this movie? Robert Redford and Jodie Foster. Um, uh, Foster dropped out at one point with talks of being replaced by Meryl Streep when they couldn't get that Robert Redford dropped the film and then after that it was announced that it was going to be shut down but a movie and also part of it too is that Outbreak would come out around the same time Um, I gotta tell you I would so much rather watch The Hot Zone than whatever the fuck White Squall is because 
I didn't like it. I didn't like it one bit. Yeah. Well, you mentioned his dad was a sailor. So maybe he had a, that was one of the reasons he picked this one up. That's, there's probably something there. And, exactly. and, and that is in the research. Part of it was like this idea of, of wanting to do something about the sea. And there's, there's, there's some similar themes with other movies too, about wanting to kind of connections to family and personal passions of his. Yeah. And I gotta say, you know, what a fun filmography he has. Like yeah. this is, I mean, cause there, is there any one more perfect to do this? I mean, his movies are all over the map. I mean, it's, you have period pieces, you have war movies, you have sailing movies, you have, Tom Cruise is a goblin. You know, there's all sorts of stuff going on. It's 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 fun stuff. His listen, his highs were highs and his lows were low. But but damn it, he he did what he wanted to do. He um, went for it. Moving on now to 1997, a film that will be covered very shortly on Rewind 2552, and that is GI Jane. Uh Again, I'm I'm conf- I'm lost here. Uh, we'll start with Mike. Mike, does this make your top five? Does not. I haven't seen it. Kieran does not make my top five, but was a first watch for this podcast. Um, same here. I I would like to start with one thing. I think this movie gets panned, and I don't understand why. Demi Moore. I do. Demi Moore won the Razzie for Worst Actress, and I think that that is a fucking travesty, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I I can tell you why this movie gets panned. Let's hear it. The name. It's a clownish. It's a clownish name, and it's it's the name makes the movie a caricature of itself. If if the movie had a more creative name and something that wasn't like a play on on a, a cartoon then it might be taken slightly more seriously. And it, it's just not. And I was, I didn't hate this movie. I really didn't. Um, it, it, it's not good, but it, it, it is more, it's, it deserves to be taken more seriously than it's taken. And I think Demi Moore is pretty good in it. Is pretty good in it. And, and she's, you know, she's pretty stunning on screen. That's the other thing. I think when people think of G.I. Jane, they think that you're going to get some kind of like, uh, you know, some like, just like macho soldier kind of no this there's there's a nuanced sexy performance there from from Demi Moore and uh, I didn't I did not hate this movie I did not hate this movie no this is when I when I tell you my rankings later you might be surprised how how high it is um I loved every scene with her and Vigo I thought they worked really well on screen together um I read something in the trivia that um all of the cast underwent like Navy SEAL esque training. But Vigo didn't do it with them. He did it. He did it kind of a separate thing on his own. And the cast was pissed. And he was like, and then later on, he was like, yep, that is exactly what I was going for. So like, it just kind of like, I, I always love seeing Vigo on screen. I thought he was, I thought he was fun in this. The ending's a little schlocky. Yeah. But I, I, it was not an unenjoyable watch for me. I, I, I agree there. Moving on 2000 gladiator. Who wants to take, who wants to take ownership of this being in their top five? Based on my intro here at the start of this podcast, it would not be a surpri- surprise to anyone to say, yes, Gladiator is in my top five. All right. Then let's move on. Uh, one year later, 2001, he has two films this year. Um, let's start with Hannibal. Mike, is Hannibal in your top five? It is not. Kieran? Good God, no. <laughs> <laughs> it is not. Uh, it is. It is also not in my top five. Um, 
I mean, I don't know what else to say other than just the fact that like, I, I think there are some stylistic choices that are that are interesting, and I think Ridley being a person to direct the sequel is not a bad choice. But like, come on, Jodie Foster's not in this movie. What do you want, what do you want me to say? Yeah, and you know what? I'm kind of happy she's not. To be honest with you. Oh, interesting. Because I don't think she would have saved it. This is this movie is, is a Thomas Harris problem. You know, who's a writer yeah. and he wrote this. I believe he wrote this after Silence of Lambs was a hit already, if I'm not mistaken. And it just, it's trying hard. And it's almost like I'm happy that Julianne Moore just hopped in and, and threw the flag on this and, and did what she did. We get to see, we get to see Hannibal Lecter because uh, obviously weren't going to, I don't think they would do that, you know, without Sir Anthony Hopkins, but mm-hmm. um, it, it's just, it's a mess. It's Ray Liotta, no it's it's tough it's a tough one and uh, uh, nothing wrong with ridley scott here there's no i don't blame him for what's going on the choice makes sense the the execution from a direct directorial standpoint is is fine but this this was this was kind of destined to to be a flop in my opinion mike what about you what do you think i I extremely dislike (laughs) um I kind of, so the first thing, I, I don't know. I think I do want to take Ridley Scott to task a little bit for this, though I cool. do agree with yeah. you, Kieran, that like this is very much a Thomas Harris problem because the story in general is bananas. But I, I think Ridley Scott is a guy who has looked at bad scripts that were disjointed and said like, this is not working. I got to shape the vision here. Um, it's, it's just like two halves of a movie. There's this subplot of like, Hannibal's on the loose, which you could say is like the first problem with the movie. The, the whole thing in Silence of the Lambs is that Hannibal Lecter is the serial killer that's calm and collected and confined, and that's what makes him scary. And so the idea of him being out there is not as interesting, especially the way it's shown in Hannibal, where he's just kind of like doing a museum curatorship. It's not like he's exacting this reign of terror or anything. Like they're blaming other serial killers in Italy for murders that are happening. It's not even him. But then, you know, it has to segue in the second half of this awkward thing. He's obsessed with Clarice and he's actually in love with her. And I'm like, one of those is the movie. Like, you can't have both. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think on it's an interesting choice. There's a lot of things about this on paper that really interest me. To get Ridley Scott to be like, he knows how to do a horror movie. He can do, he's, he's made a great horror movie about psychosexual undercurrents. Like, let's get him for it. Great. But I, I just don't think it's a good story. It fascinates me that the screenplay on this is, I mean, I know it's two different scripts, but it's David Mamet and Steve Valian wrote the scripts for Hannibal <laughs> and Ridley Scott directs it. It's just like, it's very fascinating to me, but it's a, it's a garbage movie. And it's, it made me question for a while, like, do I really like these characters? I thought I did because of how much I love Silence of the Lambs and because of how much I like even Manhunter. I like Brian Cox's Hannibal Lecter. Hannibal made me question like do I really like these characters or did Jonathan Demi and Michael Mann just do an excellent job directing and Ridley Scott really shit the bed Mike when you your first sentence when you said I really dislike this movie I just had a visceral reaction like oh I I do too I really dislike this movie I do that is a great way to just put it I dislike this movie I, I I really do the Gary Oldman stuff is unwatchable it's 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 tough this is a tough one I, I want to talk about it, but it's actually going to come up very naturally later, so I'll save it. Um, 
yeah, I, I miss Jodie Foster too. I, I cannot but wonder if her involvement would have helped it because she left because it wasn't her character. And I agree that Julianne Moore, it's hard to see her as, as Clarice, not because it's a different actress, but because it's like, this is not the FBI agent that took down Buffalo Bill. Like, Agreed. Well, and there's there's so much research about how hard uh, Jodie Foster campaigned to get Clarice that the fact that it didn't work out this way where she could do it for Hannibal. I mean, it's a letdown for anybody who enjoyed Signs of the Lambs, but also just like from her point of view, she had created that character. She worked so hard to yeah. craft it. And I mean she did a fucking hell of a job at Sansa the Lamb. So yeah, I it's, there's, there's, it's, it's, it's a big letdown. It absolutely uh, is, is a big letdown. Um, Do, don't you guys think it would have hurt more though? If Jodie Foster was in this, would, wouldn't, wouldn't the entity of Hannibal, even if she, let's say she saved it by five to 10 to 15%, wouldn't it still leave a bad taste in your mouth with the legacy of Sansa the Lambs? Sure. If she was in it? I kind of like that. She's not in it. Well, and I guess that's kind of the thing about the whole movie is like, I, I think you're right. I think the movie would be better with her in it because she could have made those creative choices to make things make a little more sense, but it's still, it would pale in comparison. And so it's kind of one of those things like, well, let's just, it would be better if it never existed. And we just, makes had, it easier. I'm yeah, having makes, a friend for dinner and that's the last time we saw Hannibal Lecter. It makes it easier to dismiss that she's not yeah. in it up. Oh, Judy Foster's not in it. We don't even need to recognize that. Yeah. <laughs> Anthony um, Hopkins isn't even as fun in it. Yeah, no. Yeah, it's yeah. Um, you know what is a well-made movie is uh, also in two thousand and one. Uh, Black Hawk Down. You know, I'll just go ahead. I want to start one and say Black Hawk Down is in my top five. Cool. Going to put it out there. Um, moving on to two thousand and three, Matchstick Men. Kieran, does that make your top five? You guys are gonna kill me. Uh, I did not see, did not get to see Matchstick Men. Sorry about that. I know all you cage lovers out there. Nobody's nobody's gonna kill you, um, <laughs> Mike. Does does Matchstick Men make your top five? It does. Interesting. All right, Ooh. there we go. Um, moving on to two thousand and five, Kingdom of Heaven. Mike, does that make your top five? No, just barely missed. Uh, Kieran, what about you? Does not make my top five. No. Uh, were you able to to watch that one? I was able to watch it. I was not able to watch the director's cut. However, I know Ooh, Ian ins insisted on yeah. that, and I I wish that I would have listened to him um, uh, based on some some of my polling. You know. So <laughs> so I know we talked a little bit about uh, we made a little joke about the director's cut stuff here, but but you're, and you're absolutely right. You give Ian five minutes of your time, and he would tell you to watch the director's cut of kingdom of heaven. Now it is now I, to me was like watching a different movie because I definitely barely remembered the first time I watched it, but this was a different movie. And we talked a little bit about <laughs> David lean earlier. This is an epic movie. If you watch the director's cut, there's an overture, there's an intermission Ooh. and an entract. There is, it is a, a lengthy thing. Now it's a, excuse me. It is a time commitment. And I definitely watched this over two nights because it's very, very long. But I got to say that it's, it's, it's a really, here's what I'll say. It is the most I've ever liked Orlando Bloom in a movie. And it's the, it's the most I've ever disliked Brendan Gleeson in one. <laughs> <laughs> 
Brendan, hold on. I gotta, I gotta get this right because if I don't get it right, I'm gonna kick myself. Hold on. Brendan Gleeson. Are you getting his name? Yes, I am. Because he, he screams at 40 times. He, he in that does. One scene <laughs> Brendan Gleeson plays Reynald de Chatillon. Mm. Uh, he, I don't know what he is doing. And also the guy who plays Guy, um, they're not, they're not great. They, the bad guy from Triple X in a Ridley <laughs> Scott movie. That was, uh, I, I, spent I, I have to be like, I know this guy. Where is he from? And that's where I, <laughs> I have to put it out there that I'm incapable of disliking Brendan Gleeson, even, even in, oh, yeah. in this. So yeah, he's, he's, he's aces for me. Oh man. I, okay. I, I, I don't disagree with that, but if we were doing like a Brendan Gleeson ranking, this is whatever the <laughs> bottom of that is. So June, Ridley, that one. <laughs> um, but I, I, I gotta say, I, I, I'm, I'm really glad that I, I, I adhered to Ian's advice and watched the director's cut. This easily jumped like ten spots from watching the director's cut. Um, and it's. It's way, it's much deeper than I remember this movie being if you watch the director's cut. Yeah, I, so I can't speak to cut differences because this is a first time watch for me, but I haven't talked about this yet. This show is a big opportunity for me to fill in a lot of blind spots because I, 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 I like Ridley Scott. I'm not a huge fan, but I have so many blind spots and I've been embarrassed about a lot of them. So when you add a message and invited me and Kieran on, I that night got a list together. I'm like, okay, what do I have to see? And then I tiered it by like, what do I have to hit first? So if I only watch one movie in the month leading up to recording, what am I doing? And it was Kingdom of Heaven, the director's cut. Um, and I really, really enjoyed it. So I can't speak to how superior the cut is, but it floored me how much I enjoyed it. I kind of felt like it was going to be one that the hype had been built up to to crap on legend a little bit more, to talk about a story about um, you know the young hero on an epic quest that's done aces in kingdom of heaven. I love it. I love the idea of Orlando Bloom is a man tortured by guilt. You know, his, his wife has taken her life. They're plagued with trauma and the idea about him going on this quest to seek absolution. I think some of those ideas are bungled a little and maybe they're not. Maybe I just need to like rewatch it to see like how finally woven the craft is. There's a lot about like redemption of sin and stuff that the crusades were about that. I think the movie kind of drops halfway through, but it was not like the, just like awesome, awesome sandal and swords epic. I kind of thought it would be. I found it, like you said, to be a lot more dense, to be fairly enjoyable. I didn't expect to buy Orlando Bloom as a French blacksmith um, who becomes the golden boy of Jerusalem, but I, I bought it. I liked it. Uh, one, again, a little, a little piece of insider baseball. And this is maybe the most uh, like nostalgic or, or personal thing about Ian um, that I get, I might get to share on the pod because uh, neither of you got to meet him in person, and so you might not know this. But and I forget what I forget what arm it was, but on one of his inner uh, inner forearms, he had uh, Rise and Night tattooed on his arm. Uh, this movie, uh, if we were doing this with Ian, I, I think this would be in his um, his top five. Yeah, so it's just I'm gonna have to go back and watch the director's cut then because uh, I watched the theatrical cut with commercials and it was just not a great experience for me. Uh, you know, Tubi has the commercials and it, you know, it, it, uh, listen, I just had a little trouble connecting with it. It, it bounces around. And I think that seems to be like a common complaint of the theatrical version is that they pull, 
they pull out too much to push the story along, along that all of a sudden, you know, uh, Liam Neeson's not in the picture anymore. It's, it, it just, it kind of moves a little quick and I had a little hard time getting emotionally invested in it. I do think Orlando Bloom does a fine job and he's not a very good actor as, as, as is. Uh, I'm a big Troy fan, though. I'll fight the Troy, the Troy war any day. <laughs> that, I told I told everyone at Best Picture guys, I'll do it. I'll do a solo Troy episode. I don't care. I'll uh, talk and, Troy with and, you. I <laughs> like it. it um, <laughs> um, Adam, by the way, you did a solo podcast, but the major tip of the cap there with that. That's very commendable test. <laughs> we, we're, I'm just gonna brush by that. I, I, I can't believe I did that. Um, uh, yes. Okay, Kingdom of Heaven. Moving on, <laughs> two thousand and six, because because guys, we we're we're into this thing. We I, we still got a lot of movies to get through. Um, so bear yeah. with me. A good year, two thousand and six. Uh, Mike, does it make your top five? Haven't seen it. Kieran, about, ha- about watched half. Watched it today. What? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> watched it today for the for the most part. Um, it did not it did not make my top five. Sadly, uh, didn't make mine. Uh. If you want to hear my thoughts on this, there's a great Below Freezing episode on it. But I will say this. After having watched the remainder of Ridley Scott's filmography, it is not as low as you might think it is. All right. Cool. Uh, so moving on to 2000. 2000- Ian oh, liked that one, didn't he? He does. He, I think he, I remember him actually playing. That's why, that's why we did it. <laughs> that's why we did it on Below Freezing, uh, was to just rib him a little bit. Awesome. Um, 2007. American Gangster. Kieran, does this make your top five? I didn't see it, sadly. This is like, this is probably like the probably maybe the biggest one that any of us hadn't seen is probably this, I, w- I would wager to say. But yeah, I have, have, have not seen it. I did get a first time watch in, but it does not make my top five. Um, it, it also does not make my top five. Um, but a very enjoyable movie. Mike, Mike, what do you think about yeah. this movie? Yeah, I really liked it. And I, before I go into it, I'd like to throw out um, that I had thrown out a Twitter poll to ask, do I need to watch the director's cut or theatrical cut um, of American Gagster? Because Twitter doesn't give you an edit button. God damn it. Um, so uh, I, apparently I was asking if I need to watch the director's cut of a porno. Uh, but I circled my way around. <laughs> And then accidentally ordered the director's cut anyways, because I'm a freaking idiot and don't do things before I put my credit card information in. Anyways, um, I yeah, I liked American Gangster. I, I think it was very serviceable, which is maybe too harsh a word. I haven't lived with it for super long. I, I was reminded of that line Nicolas Cage has an adaptation where Donald is pitching him the script for like the cop thriller he's writing and Charlie is getting upset about like you're talking about this thing of like cop and criminal are two sides of the same coin. For example, see every other cop movie ever made. And that was all I was thinking of American Gangster. It was like, that's, that's this story. But I'm like, yeah, but it's Denzel Washington and Russell Crowe. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm totally there for it. It's well handled. It's really well acted. Um, I, was, I was in for it. I Again, I this is two nights ago. I've just been cramming movies trying to get in. So I haven't had a lot of time to dwell on it. Um, but I really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was super good. And one of the other ones that I was like, I've gone way too long without having seen American Gangster. I want I want some context around the scene I've seen Idris Elba just getting shot in the head on the street. And now I have it. I, and I, that was the thing I was going to say too, is is it 
it's it's not like any other sort of crime gangster movie that you've seen, but I think part of it, it's it's not just Ridley Scott directed, but the cast on this thing. Denzel, Russell Crowe, Chiwetel Ejiofor, Josh Brolin, Ted Levine, John Hawks, Riza, Ruby D, who gets nominated, um, Carla Gugina, John Ortiz, Cuba Gooding Jr., Joe Morton, Idris Elba, Common, one of my favorite like character actors, Kevin Corrigan is in this thing, Norman Reedus of Walking Dead fame. This movie is just stacked across the board. It's got so much style. It, it's not. It, it's it's in my top ten. I, I'll say that. Um, it's. It's a re- it's a really solid movie, and Kieran, yeah. I think it's I think you would like it if you it, when you give it a moment yeah. to, to watch it. My friends love it. My friends love it. I don't know how I missed it because when it was when it was out coming to like the the cable channels and stuff, I remember them all. They all loved it, so I just it just missed my way up. It's one I plan on checking out. Yeah. To to throw a little fuel on that fire, Kieran, I know with Best Picture cast, you guys did phenomenal shows on the first two Godfather movies that I know you're a big fan of. American Gangster is a great triple feature with Godfather because it's the same ideas. It's the same ostracized community, family values. You know, how how do you support that and live the American dream in a less than legitimate way? And how do you make sure that you keep those core values intact while you are doing something that is highly dangerous and and unethical? Um, That was really good. And Ruby Deed. Yeah, Ruby Deed has talked about that, Adam. I spent most of the movie being like, why is she getting nominated for this? Like, it's just because she's Ruby Dee and Ruby Dee's awesome. But then we got that scene after the the doghouse thing, and she pulls Denzel Washington back, and I'm like, okay, I get it. Yeah, that that's her scene. That's her scene. Yeah, that's a good one. Yep. Okay. Uh, oh, what do we got here? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I think ten movies left. We'll see how this goes. Um, 2008, Body of Lies. Kieran, does it make your top five? Didn't see it on Netflix too. It was right there. It was it oh, was for real? like I uh, almost cl- yeah, I almost clicked it a couple <laughs> of times and went went another way. But yeah, no, and and Leo Russell Crowe, no, I mean, yeah, that, that I I wanted to see it in the worst way, but wasn't able to. I I think it's the I'm not, I'm not gonna say that one because I'm do do it. I'm gonna William Forsyth it again. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Mike, um, no, I haven't seen this. Tr- would love to at the time it makes a friend's top five list but uh, missed out um this this was much higher pre pre-watch i and i i did not plan on re-watching this and then i, I like here when i saw it on netflix and i was like you know what i can stay up and watch this again it's it it, it black hawk down gets a lot of uh a lot of flack for sort of the way it handles the situation in the middle east in a different time i think that this movie handles it the Middle East situation in a different time, even worse. Um, it's, Ooh. it is not the, it's, it's low on the Russell Crowe list. It's low on the Leo list. Mark strong, who I normally love in anything is playing somebody of Middle Eastern descent. It doesn't work. Um, it's, it's not a, it's not a poorly made film. It's just, I think a, uh, a poorly intentioned film that has not aged well since 2008. Oh wow! His screenwriter of uh, The Departed, William Monaghan. William Monaghan too. Yep. So yeah, so Ooh. that was another reason I was like ready to, ready yeah. to jump on it. But who, oh, well. who also wrote Kingdom of Heaven, right? Yeah. One. Yep. I was like, one yeah. of one of the only uh, people to come back and work with Ridley on a screenplay. William oh. Monaghan. Yep. Wow. Um, I'll I'll leave it at that because we have so many movies to still get to. Um, 2010, Robin Hood. Kieran, does it make your top five? As a lover of Robin Hood, one of my favorite Disney animated movies, 
Uh, it doesn't make my top five. And sadly, it is a gap for me because, uh, man, you know, Russell Crowe and and uh, and Robin Hood is Jennifer Connelly in this this one, too. Kate Blanchett. Man, I'm striking out today. So. <laughs> I think I'm thinking, of Noah. I'm thinking of Noah. <laughs> uh, uh, Mike, does it make your top five? No, I haven't seen it. I uh, I don't know. It just never sounds fun. <laughs> it's not high on my watch list. Don't. Yeah, I'll get Kevin. I'll take Kevin Costner. Yeah, it's it's just um, it's it's funny. And I did some research on this, and it was it was planned because basically the movie takes place before uh, Robin Russell Crowe has basically been sort of like outlawed. Right? It's all it's all precursor stuff to when he's officially kind of outlawed from from um by by the by King John. Is that right, John? Prince John. Prince John. Well, when he becomes the king in, in the movie. Um, so, like, it, it's not really about the, the, you know, stealing from the rich and giving to the poor. It's all building to that. And I, unfortunately, watched the director's cut prepping for this, um, which is honestly just not, it's not, it's not good. I don't recommend it. I don't recommend this movie. Boy, that just sounds so Ridley Scott. You know, <laughs> we're, we're going to build up into the stealing the rich for the poor. <laughs> yeah. Let's not make it about the thing anybody wants to see. Well, <laughs> the, sticking with that theme of war, of continuing a story, we're now to 2012 uh, and Prometheus. Mike, does Prometheus make your top five? It don't. Kieran? It does not. And this is a gap for me because Ooh. today I was I had it slated to watch today. I was I listened to your uh, your episode on on Alien Adam that we did with Ian and he got me fired up to watch it because of his uh, his Lawrence of Arabia illusions and and all that so I'm like oh I'm so in on this and I had done the rewatch of Alien this week and all that and I got home today and was just so beaten I'm like eh, you know what I feel like watching a good year instead <laughs> so I did that <laughs> Oh man! Yeah, so. Oh man! That the rough, rough choice. Sorry. Rough choice. Um, Mike, you know, I wanted something light, and I got it. So that that's uh, it's okay. It, I, it, I wasn't ready for spaceships and and androids and all such. Mike, had you have you seen Prometheus? Yeah, and the, uh, it's funny you should talk when we were talking way back when we started about your your gateway. I mean, not my first Ridley Scott movie, but maybe the first one I was amped for because at that point I, I'm in film school and I'm stoked and I love Alien at that point. And to, and to see Ridley Scott's coming back and he's being very coy, but it's very obvious it's an alien prequel because the trailer is using like that ping noise and all that. I was stoked. I went opening nights. Um, I'm not going to pretend like I hated it. I, I liked it. And I, I still like Prometheus okay. I never much bought into a lot of the overpraise it got where it was being compared to 2001 saying like it's oh. the first science fiction movie asking big questions and the age of the Avengers. And I'm like, yeah, but does it, it still kind of feels more like a haunted house movie in space. And that's kind of what I've appreciated it for. It's a bunch of people who ostensibly should be smart, making moronic decisions. But I like, I, I, I definitely agree that it, it, it does. It's a, it is kind of a haunted house movie. I, I definitely felt the tension. I mean, I, 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 I'm going to be real. I really like this movie. I, it doesn't make my top five. Um, mm. again, another stacked cast. Yeah. And, um, this was an off mic thing because uh, as of the alien recording, I hadn't seen Prometheus or alien Covenant. Oh and yeah. Mike and I are uh, uh, Mike. Uh, Ian and I got together and um, 
after I'd watched it and he was like, what'd you think? And I go, I really liked it. And I go, one of the best scenes in a Ridley Scott film, one of the most tense things is when Numi Rapace goes into the machine where she has to get the alien taken out of her. Oh my God. I was like, my, my, I was like clenched fist. Like, Oh shit. Mm -hmm. I, Oh man, that was, I'm, I, I'm going to play my cards a little bit here. Unlike alien covenant, um, this one, I, it's such a, I think it's such a great prequel for Alien. I think it's, I, I really, really like this movie. Yeah. I think my ill will is too strong a word for it, but the neg- more negative feelings I have for it is I, I don't want an Alien prequel. Um, I, I, like Karen, I was listening to your Alien podcast the other night, Walking the Dog, and Ian talked a lot about like how stoked he was at that prospect of going back to explain the space jockey. And I've always felt like, no, the cool thing is like in that scene in Alien, you're like, what the hell is that? And you never Ooh. find out. And now here's Prometheus saying like, well, it's this and we're going to take, you know, we're going to play in six movies to tell you exactly what it is. And I'm, I'm not there for it. I don't need the Alien prequel. I don't need to see how we fit into it. Like Alien, we'll talk about Alien while I, guess I won't get into it. But um, and, and well said, well said, here, totally, totally agree. Yeah. But saying nothing new here, Fassbender's great in it. Yeah. One of the last really good things he did. Again, what a great segue into 2013 and the counselor. Mike, does the counselor make your top five? No, and it pains me to say I have not seen the movie where someone has sex with a car. Yes, yes. Kieran, what about you? Real like zip past that fastbender shade there. Um, I have, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, isn't 12 Years a Slave and... Um, and Steve Jobs saw it after that? Okay. I, uh, I guess for another podcast. I, I, no, no, no. I spaced that. I love him and Steve Jobs. Don't get me wrong. Okay. All right. Um, I, I have not seen this, the, the movie now. This movie is terrible. <laughs> and hang on real quick. I don't know if this was just a press tour thing, but didn't Ridley Scott say he considered it at the time, at least like his best work? There, there are, there are um, a group of people who think that it's like kind of it's like deep, and kind of a, a attempting to broach some really interesting subjects. Um, it, it, it is not. It, it, there is, there is almost no plot to this movie, and I, I'm not saying that to be facetious. It's there's really nothing going on. Um, uh, it, it's, it is, it's a very talented. And here, I don't know. How, it's a very talented and beautiful cast. Cormac McCarthy screenplay Ridley Scott nothing nothing it's like we've got we've got Michael Fassbender and Penelope Cruz two great actors two gorgeous human beings and it's like what the fuck are you doing on screen we've got an extended scene between Michael Fassbender and Brad Pitt just talking and normally I'm like this is amazing but it leads to nothing it leads to nothing this is one of the more boring movies I watched for the first time for this pod. Thought I skipped. I don't recommend it. Um, but you haven't seen it. 